to the Rockman Show. It's time for Rockman to give his opinions, his views, and his thoughts on life and rock. So grab a beer, buckle in, and get ready to rock. in their entitlement and just being in the fucking road so you remember i mentioned when i was in the netherlands the bicyclists they they fucking rule the road they rule it pedestrians they don't even have the fucking right to be on the road if there's a bicycle get the fuck out or they're gonna run your ass over so today got up had a long night last night with saw my friends at a couple breweries you know ragman he does that shit had a few beers, and uh, I don't sleep well anymore when I drink too many beers. And I always tell myself, I'm not going to do it, but guess what happens, people? I do it every fucking time. So anyway, you don't want to hear about my sleep patterns. But anyway, I didn't sleep well, so I get up. I was like, you know what? I drank one too many last night, so I need to go to the gym. Go sweat this shit out. And that's kind of my routine, Monday through Friday. On the weekends, I'm like, okay, if I got... Feeling a little sluggish, whatever. It is what it is. I'll eat some tacos. So anyway, I'm driving home, and there's all these dog barkers in my fucking neighborhood. You got something to get dogs? No, I don't. But the people that walk dogs think they fucking own the road like the bicycle people in the Netherlands. Uh, is that a problem? Yeah, it is if I'm trying to get home. Did he have to take a shit or something? Yeah, I kind of did have to take a shit. And I was sweaty, and I was tired, and I, I wanted to go get a shower and get some food. How was your shit? Was it... Yes, it was solid, John. Okay, be a second. Why are you so worried about my fucking shit? I want to make sure you're getting enough fiber. Well, I appreciate that, sir. So anyway, there's this fat fucking bitch and her dog in the middle of the fucking road, and I'm creeping. And she's like, won't even acknowledge I'm behind her. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with you? Get the fuck out of the road. And then, this is the weirdest thing. She's in the middle of the road. I'm going slow. 
And then she decides to cross, does not even acknowledge I'm there. I could run her and her fucking dog over, but I can't do that. I'd be arrested. So I want to play a song for her because she inspired me. My friend Warner, she's like, Alan, or Ragman, I don't know who Alan is. Ragman, if you're having a bad day, you want to be cheered up, check out this song. So I want to dedicate this to you, you fat old bitch with the dog, to kind of find your surroundings and be respectful to people. But you're a beautiful person inside, so I want to dedicate this song to you. This is called, You Are a Cunt. I try to live my life, live my life every day. Keep out of strife, come what may. I try to do unto others as I'd have them do to me. But it can't be done for everyone, and now it's plain to see. You are a cunt. Welcome to the Ragman Show. Guys, got a special day today. I'm at New Magnolia. We've been talking about doing this for a while. And I'm with the owner, the big cheese, the big dog, Shane. We don't say last names because everybody wants to say anonymous. So, Shane, welcome to the Ragman Show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great. Uh, you make great beer. I love the tap room here. We Actually, we've cornered it. You let us in early or let me in, John. I don't. He's in the cooler, freezing his ass off. He can't be allowed in areas. I know there's no children here, uh, which is a good thing, because he's got problems. Uh, and you probably guessed that already. Oh, yeah. I dialed in on that one real quick. When he came in in his uh, work boots and jock and a white beater uh, tank top, that's kind yep. of the first sign. Straight out of the backwoods. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Shane, uh, tell me, uh, how long have you been in the brewery business uh, and were you a home brewer, or what is your kind of background as far as beer? Yeah, uh, you know, we opened November of 2019, uh, right before all the pandemic bullshit started. <laughs> and uh, not great timing, but um, it did allow us to uh, hit the market in a, in a way that we didn't ex- anticipate, uh, which we'll get into. Um, but really, I mean, beer for us, and I say us because it's my father-in-law and I who started the, this brewery, but it started with a gift to him 23 years ago at Christmas uh, where I gave him a homebrew kit from DeFalco's and him being a uh, commercial engineer, commercial chemical engineer uh, in plant operations and design went absolutely batshit crazy with it and just brewed a ton of beer for like 10 plus years. I mean, really? he was homebrewed like a maniac and he was making bread and beer and giving it away to all of his friends and I think he always imagined himself as a like a monk in the making. Um, he even kind of looks like a monk. Um, that little short squatty body with the bald head. And so uh, he made a bunch of beer. When I moved back from New York, uh, I started asking him for beer uh, for our parties and events at the house. He was like, sure. People were like, where'd you buy it from? We're like, we made it. They're like, impossible. It's too good to be made home at home. We're like, no, seriously. And so that went on for a couple of years. And then we went from uh, extract to all grain to uh, 20 gallons, five gallon, 20 gallon, one barrel. And then we were hooked because there was like eight breweries in Houston that were worth a shit. Um, and people were saying, your beer is better than five out of eight. And so we were like, well, maybe we're on to something. And this was 
2011, 12, 13. Who, who was around? I'm curious who was around back then. I know St. Arnold. I don't know if Carbach had Carbach started. had just started. Okay. Yeah, so it had St. Arnold, Carbach, Southern Star, Galveston Bay. Um, was no label around then? Uh, or just yes, no label. Close. No label was just getting going back then, too. Okay. Um, so this was like 11, 12, 13 time frame. Um, most of those breweries were all um, token-based, so you had to go in and buy tokens in order to get a yeah. glass to get your beer. That's because they didn't have a brew pub designation, which didn't come around until December 2014 or January 2015. The legislation passed in 2014 and 2015, you could open a brew pub, which meant you could brew and sell direct to the consumer, as opposed to being a brewery that could only brew and sell to the bars and restaurants through distribution, which is what everybody was prior to 2015. Oh, okay. So it's a lot, lot harder to sell a product when you're an unknown entity. Right, right. I always right. wonder why the tokens you buy the glass. I mean, uh, what is it? Eighth Wonder still does that. Yep. But it kind of gets you. It's just for take our glass. You get. I don't like well, the glass. Well, so there. Too yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It used to be. Too uh, many. It used to be. Well, it still is. If you if you brew above ten thousand barrels a year, you have to have a distribution license. If you're ten thousand or less, you can have a brew pub license. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so if you're ten thousand and above, you still have to have tokens. So St. Arnold's, how they get around that, they built an outdoor beer garden, which is next door, which is considered a different property, which is owned by Brock individually, and um, they sell their beer direct to the consumer there because they sell from St. Arnold's to the beer hall entity, right? So that's a transaction. Um, <clears throat> the other breweries around town that still have tokens, it's just because they're above 10,000 barrels. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And I do it when I go there just because I'm like, well, if they'll keep the glass i get a four token sometimes it's not a bad deal financially yeah. to get i think it's like 16 17 bucks if you get three beers in a glass or something like that you know truthfully speaking they're only supposed to get an eight ounce pour because really? it's supposed to be a sample as exchanged for the token but this whole system has been bastardized for uh -huh. the benefit of the breweries and nobody pays attention no, nobody can police it the, yeah. the tabc don't have enough people out there to even come in and begin to police this activity right so you're basically getting away with something that has been around forever um, which is fine which is really the way it should be I mean this whole token nonsense is bullshit um, this 10,000 barrel per year is just a bullshit legislative cap so that it keeps the big dogs like Silver Eagle and Budweiser and Coors and all the big macro breweries um, happy and um, feeling like they still control Texas which they have historically controlled Texas really okay well Question for you. So, do you, have you brewed at all, or are you just? No, I've brewed. Yeah. So oh, okay. I, I, I. Uh, so when we were doing that whole, let's go from uh, extract to grain, I was in the driveway. <laughs> so it was like redneck driveway every Saturday, Sunday. The whole neighborhood was coming by, and they're like, "What are you doing in your driveway? It looks a little weird." We're like, "We're making beer. Come on in." So we were living in the Heights and basically brewing beer for the neighborhood. Oh, that's awesome. And just having parties in the driveway every Saturday, Sunday. We'd brew on Saturday, Sunday. We'd have releases on those same days for beers that we made previous weeks. It got to the point where my garage was a small micro-commercial brewery. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I had yeah. everything going in there. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to drink a barrel of beer a week when you're brewing that much and right. you're kegging it and preparing it. So we were just, like, giving it away to everybody that we possibly could give it away to. Um, so I, I mean, I've been through the whole brewing process. Um, I worked at, I worked at um, Buffalo Bayou when they're over on Nolda Street for about oh, a year. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were so much better back then too. They, they, you know, when when I found them and they had that whole volunteer program where you could come in and volunteer on the weekend, uh, I was dead set that that was my favorite. Like they were the most creative brewery in Houston. Very much so. Very yeah, much. I agree. Yeah. 100%. I mean, they were 
Christmas in July, yeah. and the stu- they'd have like twenty something beers or something like that. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great. It was really, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed working there. They offered me a full time job to stay on as a brewer and other roles that they had there at the at the brewery. But knowing what I was going to be doing within a year of leaving there, I didn't want to take on that. I just didn't feel like it was a good, a good responsible thing to do for within the beer industry. And you know, I didn't tell them my plans. I just politely declined, and and then within a few months, I said, "Hey, I got to move on to some other stuff." I another question for you. So, I remember going to St. Arnold when they were overall. I think it was thirty fourth or forty third right. or something like that. Right. And then I used to go to Buffalo Bayou again, one of the most creative breweries in Houston. But as they moved into these mega breweries with the restaurant, St. Arnold as well. I think St. Arnold was better back in the day. Now I don't like it, except I'll buy Pumpkinator because I like that. But other than that, I'll drink it if it's the only thing around craft. But by you, their beer has really gone downhill as far as quality for me. Unless you want a good stout. They, they still do the stouts pretty well, but IPAs or stuff that I care for, they're subpar in my opinion. Same thing with St. Arnold. I'm not impressed. And, yeah. you know, I hear people, oh, I worked at St. Arnold. It's like, okay, yeah, win early or later in life so do you think as these places get bigger it's just so mass produced that the quality goes down or what are your thoughts it's it's really audience driven right so if you go back and you look at st arnold's as a case study um they had like five basic beers when they opened you know and they kind of maintained that for a very long time and i think the mindset back then was just like we'll just grow market share by going from houston to dallas to austin san antonio and then beyond the state of Texas with the same core beers that we always have. But what happened is, is the consumer got a more sophisticated palate, and so they started demanding more. So they were looking, they automatically found alternates or alternative beer options. And so uh, as a brewery, St. Arnold had to evolve in order to survive, right? And so in doing so, they created things like Art Car and Summer Pills, and they pivoted with the market, which had already pivoted away from what they were producing because they saw their sales going down. And so, you know, you get as you grow, you still ha- like even as small as we are, you, we have to pivot as often as we can with the market trends and and consumer likes and dislikes. Uh, but you still have to have a core base beer and a base following. And if you really look at the portfolio of beers that St. Arnold's has today versus what they had in the past, probably the five beers that they started with, they probably have two that still remain today. Right, right. And the rest of it's all kind of followed the latest and greatest trends of uh, the consumer base, which is the IPAs, the Pilsners, um, specialty beers, seltzers. I mean, they've got a cider, you know, that they put out. Um, and you know, as you get bigger, the truth of, of making beer is this is the this is the hardest part about making beer. As you get bigger, it's harder to control the variables for consistency. Yeah. Right. When you're small, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but when you're small, it's easy to control for a lot of things. But when you get bigger, there's a lot that can go wrong quick. And so you have to have a lot of, like I now as an owner have a huge appreciation for like the big macro consume, macro producers across the United States. Their beer sucks, but for them to be consistent from East Coast to West Coast for the same brand, yeah, that's an achievement that's just kind of mind boggling, right? But when you think about it here locally in the city of Houston, for Summer Pills or Art Car or any number of these large macro breweries in Houston that are that are larger, like St. Arnold's and Eighth Wonder and um, Carbach, consistency is the hardest thing. Beer after beer after beer after beer, year after year after year. Yeah. 
uh, because the consumer can tell the differences. There's a small range of variability. You can have between like three and 5% range in flavor profile, which is inherent to grain, yeast, climate. I mean, there's a number of things that go into some little bit of wiggle room, but consistently reproducing the same quality beer is truly the name of the game. Um, and a lot of times consumers, they're out in the marketplace drinking beers from the same brewery and they're like, oh, it's a little off. And the brewery's like, well, you know, we just pitched the hops at a different time. We're trying something new. So they get away with a lot of yeah. inconsistency through easy excuses. But when you have a beer like Heights Light that we make, that it's got to be the same way every single time. Yeah. Or you tell. You can tell it's not right. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it's such a naked light lager to begin mm-hmm. with that consistency is the name of the game. And, I mean, I think the biggest compliment we get from St. Arnold's, whoever is over there, is always the same thing. You guys as a brewery make the most consistent, uh, quality, clean beer in all of Houston. And we hear that from a lot of breweries and a that's lot of awesome. patrons. Yeah. And for us, I think that's that's the most important part um, in this industry is more than anything else is being consistent and being clean with your product and and the and the beer that you make week over week, month over month. Well, you know, you mentioned something, and I'm getting thirsty, so we're gonna have to get a beer here in a minute. But no label, they're on the spotlight right now. Mm-hmm. They have a beer called Sit Inside Haze, which they're hazy, which it's it's not great, but it's good. I mean, when I would go run over there in the run club or if I was at no label that's my go-to but they changed the formula and they added like a Belgian yeast or something like that and fucked it up and it's so funny and I, I, I'll be curious to see what your opinion is because you're not in this situation your stuff is pretty much you know what you're going to get every time but even the beer tenders were like this sucks and it sat on tap for a long time and then they finally went back to the old formula and it's good again but what are your thoughts on that with even the beer tenders being honest and saying, I don't like it either. It's bad. I don't recommend it. Yeah, I mean, good for them for speaking up and yeah. not trying to just toe the line. Uh, you got to know when to, to, you got to know how to serve and, and, and be a good patron steward of, of the industry and your product and, and to your patrons first and foremost. Um, I mean, we... You know that, that that happens. That stuff happens. Like you, you go down this path of of never-ending perfection with a beer. Yeah. Right? So no beer is ever finalized or ever fully perfected. It's just it's impossible because there's always something you can do to change that. So somewhere somebody in there said, "Hey, they had something somewhere. It, they thought it was great. They thought it would translate well. They brought it back. They tried it. It failed. The most important thing to do in that is just to admit that you failed. You went the wrong direction." And you're going to fix it, and you're going to go back, and you're going to make all your people right for for everybody that you pissed off. Well, do you pull that beer when you get so much negative feedback on it, or do you just like, well, we made it, let's just sell it till it runs out? I mean, that's a personal choice. Uh, I've pulled beers off the wall that I personally thought I didn't like the way they were they were turning or the direction they were headed in. Um, I've taken stuff out of the market where I've gone in and said I didn't like it on the wall. I I, I don't want it in this bar or restaurant I want to take it out and I'm going to replace it with something so I mean it's a personal choice as an owner when you've got that much volume that no label has probably committed to one beer um, it, it there's some economics behind it that maybe forced them to keep it in the market yeah for a period of time until they could rebrew back into it and replace it because they didn't want to lose a handle because a lot of their a lot of this stuff is too is like 
hey, we have a handle. We don't want to give it up. If you pull the beer off, the bar just says, oh, it's next, next. Yeah. You're, you get that handle and you lose your handle. Or your distributor, which is Silver Eagle, says, uh-uh, no way. We've bit the bullet on this. Now you're going to have to bite the bullet and buy back your beer. So it becomes an economic decision. Oh, wow, wow. Okay, yeah. yeah so I didn't a, think so, about that part of it. Yeah, so when you have a beer that you want to take out of market and you've already sold it to your distributor, you're either trading them or buying it back. Yeah. And they just spread the cost out amongst all the other beers that you're selling them. And so, you know, it, it becomes a very challenging uh, financial decision to make for a lot of reasons. I mean, especially when you've got branding and collateral and you've got market penetration and you've got um, people out there promoting and pushing and you've got labels and... I mean, you know, it's just, it's an enormous financial endeavor launching a new brand or a twist or a change in a brand. Yeah, nice. Well, I'll tell you what, Shane, why don't we play a song? You got anything in mind off the top of your head? And I guess before we get our beer, do you listen to music when you brew? And we'll get into this deeper, but you got a song on top of your head you want to play? Um, you know, I, I, I like... I like kind of like punk metal a lot. Oh, nice, um, nice. I kind of grew up on that stuff. Um, one thing that always gets me going that makes me kind of have a lot of fun is uh, Rage Against Machine. Okay. Like Bulls on Parade. Nice. Let's do it. All right. Rage Against the Machine. I think that's the first on the Ragman, or Genghis and Ragman show, for that matter. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed having Genghis back last week. Uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to give my review of Dream Theater, Devin Townsend, and Animals as Leaders. Really good, but right now, I'm so fucking thirsty, I can't take it. Mr. G...
Alright Shane, we have a special beer. It's a little bit out of my normal realm. What are we drinking? It looks fucking delicious. This is a straight up traditional Czech Pilsner poured in a dimple, 20 ounce dimple mug from a Czech Luker side pour faucet. Uh, this is a really, really cool way to enjoy a beer. Um, these side pour faucets can give you multiple pours uh, that give different flavor expression uh, from malt all the way through the hot profile and everything in between. Uh, they're primi primarily found in Czech culture. Uh, okay. They're getting really popular here in the United States now. Uh, several breweries in the U.S. have like really brought them to the front line. And I think here in Houston, we're going to be that brewery bringing it to the front line. Well, and I cheated a little bit. Shane gave me a milk tube. So kind of explain the milk tube. And it was delicious, by the way. Yeah, so it's the same traditional uh, Czech Pilsner that when poured through the side pour faucet, you basically just give it a little twist on the faucet so that you get this really dense, thick foam that comes out. And that foam is poured into a stange or a 10 ounce uh, tall glass, high boy glass, that um, when drank, it's supposed to be shot like a shot of like a shot of liquor. Uh, but it's, it's taste and consistency is like dense, warm milk that is sweet to the taste, um, thick and rich on the tongue. <clears throat> but it is just all foam and it goes down nice and smooth. It's traditionally drank as the last uh, beverage of the night in the Czech Republic when the folks are uh, headed home. They consider it a, des a dessert style drink. Um, and so it's a fun way for people to see what happens when you pour it that way because essentially you're, you're crushing out all the CO2 from the beer by way of the faucet and you're just getting this really rich malt character flavor on the uh, foam. Nice. I'll tell you what, before we rate the beer, let's play a beer song. This is from Hell Yeah. This is called Drink, Drink, Drunk. look at these uh i'm gonna i'll tell you what i'm gonna rate it and then you tell me more about the beer and see if i'm off or i'm fucked up or whatever so we've talked basically about the style of the pour with the foam and all that but we haven't really talked about the pilsner itself mm -hmm. so actually why don't you explain the pilsner itself first and then i'll i'll rate it and we'll go go from there but um yeah tell me the characteristics and what we're actually drinking yeah, so it's a it's a Czech Pilsner, uh, so it's golden in color, nice white, clear, foamy head, 
Uh, comes in at five and a half percent on the ABV. Uh, it's brewed with all Czech Pilsen malt. Uh, we use Czech Sots hops, uh, Czech yeast, and a Czech water profile from the town of Pilsen. So really yeah, nice. One of our one of our trademark brewing techniques is that we uh, we brew the water. We brew the beers based on where the water profile of that beer originated from. So we duplicate to the exact number the water profile of wherever that beer came from in the world. Uh, because all that information is public, and because our head brewer is a chemical engineer by trade, uh, it's simple science for him on literally the back of an envelope or, an, or the back of a napkin any day of the week. And so we recreate those water profiles, which accentuates and brings the consumer closer to where the beer actually came from, as opposed to when you drink chlorinated beer water, uh, you get a muddled beer flavor. Nice, nice. So let's look at the sink. Uh, like Shane said, uh, golden in color. And with the side pour, there was so much foam. Uh, and it was it's a beautiful beer. Uh, there's retention on the glass, a lot of lacing here. So you're going to get that from these side pours. Uh, so if it's not a side pour, do you use it? I know this is a lot more foam, but mm -hmm. do you still get the lacing and head like you do? Absolutely, or? yeah. If we pour this straight off the wall on CO2, it's going to come out exactly the same. So on appearance, I'm giving this thing a four. It looks beautiful. Uh, let me go with aroma. Yeah, it smells like a Pilsner, like a Czech Pilsner, or you know, European. It smells very European. Yeah. Not like Pilsners you get in the U.S. are kind of boring, and they they, they mm -hmm. try, but they don't get there, right? I had one at a brewery a couple days ago. I was the first one to rate it, and I wasn't super favorable, but I just want to be honest. I don't know if the brewer reads it or not, but. We'll get into that in a bit, but yeah. uh, tell you what, so appearance beautiful. I love the smell, another four. Um, the real part of this rating is the taste. So cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh, kind of sweet. Um, a little bitter on the finish on the back end. Yep. Um, solid, I mean, it reminds me of like uh, some of the best, like Pilsner Urquell, uh, those type of like Pilsners, which I loved. I actually, getting into beer, I there wasn't a big craft beer scene here, so I was European beers. Mm -hmm. So my first fancy beer was Michelob. Don't laugh at me, <laughs> but uh, and then I evolved into European beers, and then craft beers have taken over my palate, mainly hazy IPAs. Yeah, but it's refreshing to have a beer like this. I was in Germany. Uh, shit three weeks ago and that's all i drank were like lagers pilsners and it was fun i wanted my ipas but i knew i wasn't going to get a lot of high quality ipas over there yeah, yeah. but i found you know, eventually found some so john hit the horns got a four all right change time for another song you want to pick or you want me to pick you pick all right how about hot mulligan this is a crazy title it's shh Golf is on. Let's do it. Can't stand the fact I know where you are. Ten years I still try to spot your car. We're driving past your house. The taste of iron in the mouth. Got shame that I have to look like mom. Disgrace I made me my father's son. Still too close to me I swear in life I feel you breathe 
On the news the other day, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, Shane, because this, it really was weird, uh, but kind of funny. I was kind of laughing. So, in Afghanistan, the Taliban has banned makeup for women. What's the point of a woman wearing a veil? Why does she need makeup? Maybe she likes to feel pretty. Well, maybe she does, but with the veil's on. Maybe it's in the back room. Do not jerk off in that cooler. I promise I have a button where I can cut him. There may be something weird on the cans or something. Just sanitize. Yeah, yeah, we, we got that covered. Okay. I, I can't control him. I don't know what's going on in that head. I wouldn't even begin to try. <laughs> but what's the deal? Why would... Women need makeup over there. I mean, I guess they want to feel pretty, but if they're wearing all the veils and stuff, I don't. I think it's kind of like, honey, why don't you spend so much money at Sephora, Afghanistan? I cannot see face. Oh my eyes, honey! They look so pretty with the makeup on the eyeliner, but it's too much. You have wasted too many rubles or whatever we spend here. <laughs> That's weird. We just channeled into Afghanistan to an argument of why the wife spent money on makeup. I joke, I jest, but I thought that was kind of funny. As yeah, kind of weird because they're wearing the veil and everything all the time, right? I mean, it's, who knows? It's a culture that I'll never understand. <laughs> yeah, honestly, God. I got you. It's it's mind-boggling to think of that. Uh, makeup uh, is is a. a Yet another thing to suppress the the female culture over there. It's just it's 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 horrifying <laughs> to think of it that way. Yeah. Um, it's and I don't, I don't even have words for it honestly. Now this is the first time I've heard of it. So I I live life with my head a little bit in the sand uh, because I get too wrapped up in um, the things around us and I become proactive or vocal and so I've learned that to stay out of trouble. I just have to not pay attention to the news, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not follow the headlines, stay out of the political arena, Yes. Um, keep my world um, very focused and, and very channeled so that I can be the best at what I, I'm doing currently, which is running a brewery, being a parent, and trying to survive all the bullshit that's constantly being pushed down and, and thrown at us day in and day out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I watch the news in the morning when I'm at the gym. But other than that, I don't. And then my parents are in their 80s, and they're like, always bashing Trump. And I was like, well, Biden's not really great either. So, and then they, they defended. I was like, okay, well, yeah, let's not talk about this because I'm not right. Why don't you like? I was like, let's not do that. Let's not go there. Let's yeah. move away because I don't talk politics with anyone. And I have a few friends, or you get in a conversation with them, it's like. 
oh fuck, why did I even open my mouth? I just let's not do this. Right. Yeah. No, I was I was in Florida at the beginning of the year and the 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 mental like not the mental but the the, the per, just the way that people are still latched on to the Trump effect there. It's it's just mind boggling. Yeah. And I'm neither I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. I'm a, I'm a I'm a just staying out of it. Kind of <laughs> that's if there was a party yeah. that was staying out of it, I'd yeah. be staying out of it. Um, just but it's just so polarizing in the fact that it still exists and it's still just like raging on. Um, even in spite of where we're at and all of this, it's just that it just it just boggles me. I think that's why I like the heights. Yeah. Because the heights it's kind of like you got a little of everybody, but nobody gives a shit enough to talk about it out loud. Or if right. they do, it's amongst closed circles, and they just kind of like all leave it alone, just because they're all more interested in having a good time, getting fucked up, and you know, enjoying, yeah. the, enjoying whatever else is going on in the world. Right. Right. You know. No, I, I agree. The this area I live here as well, and it's been great. I moved from the suburbs to the Heights, and I'm a single guy, so I'm looking at pretty girls all over the place. I'm like, oh god. If one just wanted me, it would be so awesome. But we're not. We won't talk about my love life. Well, maybe we will later. We'll see. But uh, no, it's it's a great area, and there's lots of great people, very friendly. And again, I don't think I've had a political conversation with anyone. This, it's it's not worth the headache, right? I no. mean, even the like hardcore people, like you kind of agree. It's like I don't really want to get into that, right? Yeah. Or you just shake your head. Oh, let's move on. So let's move on. Music. Music, beer, food, all the other great <laughs> cultural things that exist in our, our Texas Houston market. So when you're brewing, is there so I talked to Robert Elderson. Yep. Robert has different styles of music, so like a, like a more simpler, easier beer to brew. He goes more aggressive, he doesn't think about it, but he has other beers where he's really put a lot of thought into it, so he puts in music that's a little bit more deep. Yeah. And soothing. Uh, do you do that or no? Well, yes and no. So it's kind of like whoever gets to the um, to the to the music selector on the on the PA system first in the morning, it gets dealer's choice. Oh, nice. So some mornings John will come in and they'll be like Gregorian chant. Really? <laughs> yeah. And that'll be going on, or it'll be classical music at like top volume, and which is fine, which is great. I mean, I I, I used to study the classical music in high school and college. Uh, Matt will get on and it'll be like just old school classic 80s rock, 90s rock. Um, I get on and it's it's going to be like bluegrass. Um, it's going to be like throwback um, music to the to the 80s and 90s, which was like that punk rage rock music. Yeah. Um, European um, punk music. Uh, I just always like that surfer vibe on the guitar and that like just twist and bend that they could get out of it and just sounded like everything was moving 100 miles an hour and it was yeah. fun and energetic because um, I like music to lift me up I don't like music that depresses me like country play it backwards and your whole world is great right? <laughs> yeah I hate country yeah, I'm not a fan, I, yeah, not no, a fan. I, I, can't, I can't do it it's just I, I, I get too connected with the misery of the song that it's feeling like I'm like wow my life could suck really that bad and I'm like <laughs> fuck that I'd rather be it like be me. <laughs> I, yeah I'd rather I'd rather be out there feeling like pumped up and, and yeah. ready to take on and just you know push forward and and, and 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 you know that's why I suggested Bulls on Parade earlier because for me there's a song by Rage where you know they it's like they it's for renegades mm-hmm. and they do it their way and everything else and I've always had to be a renegade 
I've always had a renegade my way through everything because I never was willing to take one step on the ladder or on the rung, like sequentially. I wanted to go and just go up as fast as I could or skip a couple rungs or jump a couple steps and just push, 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 push to the top. And so in a lot of ways, music around me and for me um, is a means to motivate, inspire, drive, um, kind of encapsulate a moment in time uh, and I'm a big concert goer. Like I love going to concerts. Um, oh, me too. Me yeah. too. I tell you what. Hold that thought. Yep. I got an inspiration. We're gonna play a song. How about some Din Lizzy? Yeah. Renegade. Nice. Old school. Even let's, better. Let's do it. Do you go to a lot of shows? or As many as I can. Really yeah, nice. I've gotten my kids into it. How old are your kids? <laughs> so I have a 14-year-old daughter. Nice. A uh, 13-year-old son and an 11-year-old son. Okay, can I warn you right now? So at this age, you feel like you're melding them into their musical experience, and they're hopefully going to follow Dad down that same path. Yeah. There's some stuff that sticks. So like with my daughter, she's 20 now. The classic rock stuck like Stones, Zeppelin, mm -hmm. bands like that, and then Beatles, whatever, and then some of the hair metal stuff like Winger, Warrant, yep. and bands like that, but anything heavier that I tried to get her into, she's honest with me now. She's like, Dad, I just did that for you. Yeah. I never yeah. liked that. So she does more R&B, rap, hip-hop, yeah, folky type stuff now, but she still goes back to some of the older school stuff. So... What what kind of music are you trying to get your kids into? All of it. I'm just trying to make them appreciate it all for what it is and for what makes good music good music. And yeah. so you have to understand like the basics of R and B from the fifties and sixties and then the whole punk rock and rock scene and, and even the psychedelic scene. 
and how all of that was the basis for everything that has been born after that. Mm -hmm. Right? So they all play instruments. They're all guitar. They all play guitar, drums, and bass. That's awesome. Yeah. And that so is awesome. <laughs> my daughter so took lessons, and now she's self-taught. She doesn't need the lessons anymore. She can just kind of do it on her own. My son, Miller, um, he plays guitar, acoustic, and electric, and he's he just learns riffs and learns songs. Just like one time at the at the lesson, he comes home, he masters it in a week, and he moves on to the next one. Oh wow, that's awesome! And my son, Reed, he got talented. Is, yeah. he's, a, he's a he's a drum savant. One time on this song, and he's got it memorized for life. Really? Yeah. Wow. He hates playing the drums though because he's jealous of the fanfare that his sister and brother get playing guitar. <laughs> guitar, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all sing, right? And wow. So, yeah. So that they have they're looking for musical guidance in their own rights based on stuff that we've suggested so like we watched the Johnny Cash movie a few months ago and all three of them got like zeroed in on all the Johnny Cash songs so we listened to them all for like weeks and weeks and weeks on end yeah and then Miller was like he got picked up on um, Led Zeppelin and so Miller my youngest was like I want to learn all the Led Zeppelin guitar licks and riffs and so he started and he's still on that path wow right yeah. now um, he's, he's been playing Pink Floyd riffs and licks and just kind of going down that path too. And then Aubrey has ventured off into like the, the like coffee shop music. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And That's she's interesting. She's starting to explore all that because she's an artist and she draws and paints and sculpts and does all and sews and just all this really cool stuff. Oh, wow. And so she, um, she's off in a whole universe on her, on her own. So I'm not trying to push them in any one direction. Um, I'm trying to make them appreciate where it all came from. Right, right, right. Right. So, like, let's listen to the early Beatles and why were they so important. Let's listen to uh, Jimi Hendrix and why he was so important. And let's listen to Joe Satriani, who was one of my guitar heroes growing up. And, you know, Eddie Van Halen, early guitar licks and guitar riffs and why he was so prolific and important to the sound of music as we went forward. And, you know, like Rush, why was Rush so important for all the yeah. reasons with the drummer and everything else? So it's like, let's pick instruments and focus on that. Let's pick genres and focus on that. All the rest of the bands will flat flush out. And part of my thing with the kids and part of my thing in life is all these great classic bands that are all aging out and dying off that started it all and have like created and spawned all these other, other things yeah. and bands. It's like, let's see them now before they're gone. So that you kids can go, I heard that on the radio and I saw that and it sounded exactly the same. I did the same thing with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of been my drive and motivation with music. And now the problem is the kids are like, Oh, we want to go to Coachella, Dad, or we want to go to Florida, <laughs> we want to go to this and yeah, the yeah. other. And I'm like, Whoa, like time out you guys. Yeah. I'll hold the phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, let's just see the shit locally when they come through here. Right, right. So that you can say you saw them. You don't have to see them more than once or twice. I mean, like Miller got big time hooked on ZZ Top. And so him and my daughter wanted to go, and so I took him. And then Miller heard a Rob Zombie song, and he's like, I want to hear a zombie. I want to see Zombie live, and he's coming to Houston. I like Zombie, so I'm like, let's go. So I took Miller to Zombie. I do have a question. So ZZ Top, you saw them. Did you see them with Dusty Hill? or Post. Post. It How was, was that? I, it was different. I decided not to go because of that. Well, I've seen them two times prior, yeah. and I, I knew. I. We have friends of the brewery that are best friends with Billy and Dusty. Oh, nice. So okay. we cross paths. Like, me and my family cross paths with those two guys in Houston amongst these other people mm -hmm. all the time. And so uh, we had a true appreciation of what they were as a band. The new guy, his timing is off like quarter, eighth of a measure on certain songs. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's just not quite there. And you can see Billy kind of like 
giving them the nods and the hand motion, motions and cueing them in, cueing them out, keeping them going. On the oh, wow. Yeah. So he's not quite there. Because he was like his tech, uh, Dusty's tech, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Looks like Dusty. Got the a little beard, bit. the whole nine yards. Yeah. He's kind of tat, tatted up. You know, mm-hmm. got, got a vibe going. But he <clears throat> doesn't have the same rhythm. He just, he, he just, he's, he's a, like, a quarter inch to a half inch out of sync with everything that Billy's doing on stage. What about vocally? Can he match Dusty's uh, vocals or no? He's, or is that again, off too? He's off by just a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, you know. But, it, but he's, he's a whole different human being. So you, that's completely what you expect in that situation. Yeah. Can they continue to carry the songs? Yes. Um, for how long? Maybe a tour or two. Unless something new comes out of that. I was really surprised they decided to go on after he passed. Just like Rush shut it down after Neil died. Yep. Um, and then I'm like, ZZ Top, was, did I read a fake story that Dusty died? Or And then yeah. I saw the new guy, I'm like, oh, wow. Well, okay. you got to remember, like, ZZ Top, they didn't write themselves really good contracts. They didn't get paid well over the years. Yeah. They didn't bank, like, a lot of these big bands of the period. Banked. Right. And they're just, like, they call themselves the biggest little band in in state of Texas for a reason because they didn't take a lot of money up front early on, and they worked 300 days a year on the road. Wow. I mean, they were, for, for like, 10, 15 years, they were constantly on the road. Small, little, like, backwoods, small venues like this. I mean, they would play anywhere to get their name out. So they didn't hit their stride until that, what was it, Accelerator album came out Yeah. in the 90s with the cars and all the other stuff, that's yeah. when they started banking money. And But it wasn't like the kind of shit that like, you know, Van Halen, Guns N' Roses. And well, I mean, even Van Halen's signed a shitty contract. I, I, I got to think that maybe Cheap Trick signed a bad deal too because they're still touring like nobody's business. And they're not quite as, of course, they're not as good as they were, right? But either they love it that much, but I, they were always just kind of like that band, that uh, journeyman kind of band that where they just weren't making bank. You know, Rick Nielsen's got his name, Robin Zander, and Robin still sounds great vocally, but I wonder if they, I mean, they would play little, small venues, even at the height of their career, I'm like, how are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, so you go back and, like, why did G&R get back together? You know, they presumably had it all, they were the rage of the 80s and 90s, and they made tons of money, but somebody in that band shit the bed financially, and... A lot of times I feel like these bands get back together to bail one person out. Do you think it was Slash? Or I, I mean Slash know. kept going but you know, he's had he had his drug and alcohol issues. Right. Um, but he's kind of a god out in LA. Uh, and he apparently I don't know if you've seen the, the there's a either a Netflix or an Amazon special on him about Slash and about the way he lives his life. Really? No, very, I he's seen very that. frugal, very like down to earth, very mm-hmm. like collected. I feel like there are other members of GNR that probably were not Axel, most likely. Yeah, he probably fucking burned all his money up and doing stupid shit. Yeah, um, yeah because if you look at like Agar, uh, Van Halen, he's worth three hundred million dollars yeah. outside of the tequila business. Sammy, well, no, he he was and doing Sammy, shit Agar, even yeah, before like the Van Halen. He was doing real estate in California. Yeah. I read his biography, yeah. and he was doing so much shit. He's just a smart business guy. Smart guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he made a ton of money. Eddie and his brother made a ton of money. I mean, that band did really well financially. Over the oh, yeah. Once, yeah. once Sammy got in the band, they started making money because yeah. Sammy had a good manager, but their previous manager, like when they had Dave, I think they partied all that shit away, and they yep. signed a bad deal. Yep. And they could have been fucking millionaires set for life, but I think they did once... Sammy got in there and they started making bank and then 
Yeah. Unfortunately, it imploded several times. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the perils of those egos, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but who knows? I feel like a lot of times that's why bands come together is to help one member or two members of them pick back up. I mean, look at the feud that's going on right now with Kiss. Oh, God, it's sad. I it's mean, it's, sad. It's, it's like yeah. so many people are just like, call it quits already. Be done with it. Yeah, be done. Yeah, it, just go out in the glory. I refuse to see them. I thought if, like, and I've talked about this on the show, is if they did, like, brought Bruce Kulick back, Benny Vincent, uh, anybody that had been in the band, yeah. do a final show, put it on Blu-ray, I'd probably buy it. But if they come to Houston or if they go to Dallas or wherever close, nah. I have a friend, Lee. He swears they're still great live, but I saw them on like Howard Stern where they were kind of like in kind of raw and they yeah. sound like shit. They sound yeah. bad. Paul's voice is gone. Gene didn't sound that great. Uh, I saw them back in the day. I saw the reunion. Uh, my first time to see them was actually in 1982. Oh, wow. When they did Creatures of the Night and the Plasmatics opened up with Wendy O. Williams. Oh, wow. Fucking amazing show. But I saw them all through the 80s, 90s, and then when they got back together, I saw them with Ace and Peter, and then that imploded, and then I saw them, I think, once or twice with Tommy and Eric, because I wanted my daughter to be able to experience Kiss, like you were talking about with your children. And she saw that, she was young, I don't know if she even remembers, but I took her to like Motley Crue, the last tour with ACDC, Black Sabbath, last tour, uh, the Rolling Stones, so I wanted to like influence her that way as well. It's like you're seeing icons up here on stage. Yeah. But yeah, the thing with Kiss, it's it's so tired. And Paul Stanley, fucking deuce, shut up. Right. And just let Ace Peter, Bruce, Vinny come back, do one show, bury the hatchet for one show, give the fans what they want, go out on well, you're not on top anymore. <laughs> A high note. Yes. <laughs> go out. With a little bit of glory, you've taken this farewell tour. It's basically 20 years of farewell tour. Just make it done and move on. Retire, run the sunset. You've got so much fucking money, I'm sure. Right. Just move on. What's your favorite Kiss song? Let's play a Kiss song. Oh, God. You know, I I grew up watching them do those movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Family of the Park. Yeah. (laughs) We idolized them as kids. Me too. Um, uh, I, you know, that's my one of my downfalls is I am shitty with names of songs. But the minute the song comes on the radio, within two or three like seconds into the song, I can tell you what band it is. So are you seventies Kiss? Are you eighties Kiss or nineties Kiss? Or no it's one's like, really late, into late seventies, early eighties on the music for Kiss. Okay, yeah. why don't we do? Uh, I don't want to do Love Gun. Uh, how about Plaster Caster? Sure, let's do it. One. That works. Getting late, the night is almost over. 
That's funny. Uh, and you grew up in New York. Did you ever see... So my first concert ever was uh, Jones Beach. It was uh, Robert Palmer and Shaka Khan. Uh, my brother took me by way of... Um, he was like, hey, I got tickets. I was up there for the summer hanging out with them as my parents had moved down to Florida. At that point, I was probably like, probably like 82 or 83. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, he, he, the whole thing was, he's like, hey, he's babysitting me. He's like, I'm going to the show. You're coming with me. I'm like, but I don't have a ticket. He's like, don't worry. We got to figure it out. So we go to the show. He gets one of his other buddies who goes in. They bring out like two tickets that, that, so my brother could have his ticket and then an extra ticket belonged to somebody else that had already been pulled and checked. Oh, really? <laughs> so my brother and I go into the bathroom. My brother pours beer all over the ticket and kind of like roughs it up a little bit. Yeah. And comes back out to the guy and goes, hey, here's my brother's ticket, but 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 by the way, he dropped it in the urinal. I don't know if any goes, just go ahead, man. Just go ahead. Oh, nice. And nice. In, and we <laughs> sat like fourth row off the stage at Jones Beach for Shaka Khan and Robert Palmer. Oh, nice. Um, and I feel like there was another another band there um, that opened that I can't remember now. But that was my first stand. I remember on my brother's shoulders watching the band. You're like cotton in my ears. Yeah, like, yeah. It's too loud. Take me home. Uh-huh. But that stuck with me. And then from there, I've seen hundreds of shows since then. So did you grow up mainly in Florida? or? So I was born in New York. And then... Um, we moved to Texas, and then we moved to Florida, and back and forth between Texas and Florida throughout the 80s and 90s. Oh, okay. My parents were serial entrepreneurs in the uh, commercial real estate industry, and so they had various different business entities between the two states, and based on economic cycles, they'd go back and forth. Gotcha. So I went to 11 elementary schools. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, and the longest place I had ever lived was in college in Tallahassee, where I had been there for a consecutive six years. Wow. Which I just said six years in college, right? <laughs> that doesn't include the two years I spent elsewhere in college. Yeah. So I was in college for seven and a half years uh, by choice because I just loved college and I yeah. made up for lost time those last couple of years in Tallahassee. Um, and then now Houston is the longest I've ever lived anywhere prior to that. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So since 2011, we've been in Houston. And so that's what twelve years now. Yeah, that's that's the longest I've ever lived anywhere in my entire life. Really? Wow! Yeah. I've so, been here my whole life. So. Yeah. So I've I've had a lot of moving around, and I guess that in a lot of ways, like when you move all the time and you're the new kid in school, every time you show up at a new school, or yeah, like I showed up at two elementary schools one year. You're always a new kid, and everybody's like, "Where are you from? What do you do? Who are you?" Blah blah sure. blah. So you have to learn to adapt and kind of like get in there and you know figure out how to rise to wherever you got to be so you're not left out or left or part of the leftovers as yeah. they call them um, and that's part of why I was saying earlier like music is like a driver for me to like push 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 um, and I've always just been I've always been wired that way oh nice and mostly because I've been a you know I didn't want to be a social outcast or pariah in school because I was the new kid new kids always they're yeah. easy to get left out right I agree I yeah. agree yeah. I tell you what let's play another song Shane, you're up. Oh, um, what would I what would I be listening to <clears throat> these days? You know, Chris Cornell was probably one of the biggest voices of my era, um, and all the songs that he did across the board. I mean, anything by Chris Cornell, like I just love. I think he had one of the he had a great voice, most yeah. incredible range on voice. Uh, what song would I pick again? 
Were you a Temple of the Dog fan? I was a huge Temple of the Dog fan. I like that song, Say Hello to Heaven. There you I go. don't want to steal your pick. No, though. that's fine. I, I mean, any, so I'm more about the genre and the musician yeah. than I am about like, the specific song. Let's, let's uh, a little Temple of the Dog. Right on. the last 10 years I'm that guy where I don't know song names I know what I like I can put on that record it's like, what the fuck was that song called you know before when I was a kid I knew every song right Rat Molly Crew, Kiss yeah. Juice Priest Iron Maiden whoever I could like name the song off that record what's your favorite song off Peace of Mind ah uh, To Tame a Land or The Trooper or whatever and then but now it's like hey you like this band what, what's your favorite song it's like Number three? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> so I was, a uh, long time ago, a buddy of mine gets in the car, he goes, anybody who names this band, I'll buy your bar tap for the night. Fuck yeah. Threw it on. I was like, oh, it's Dead Milkman. He's like, Fuck. how did you know that? I was like, dude, I listen to that shit all the time growing up. When we were in our, like, sixth and seventh grade, we thought we were all skate punk yeah. surfers. And so we listened to that entire speed metal, like, punk rock genre forever so I know them all I just can't pick a song I can't tell you the name of any of the songs in any of the albums or the names of the albums yeah yeah I just because I, do, I know I don't need to know that I know I can just look it up and figure that out like sure what I need to know is a fact about you and like three things about a person that I've met once or twice in my life that's the shit that I remember yeah that's what I dial in or something specific about a location or a place or a time and place or an area of town or some obscure little reference to something that nobody else remembers. That's the kind of stuff I recall. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to switch gears. Um, I don't know if we should play another song. We've been playing a lot of music. We can play more. We always can. Uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to play one more song. You mentioned a song to me the other day that was one of your faves. 
And it was an older song, a little Van Halen or Van Hagar. Yep. What song you want to play? Oh, that was uh, Right Now? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, it's the one you mentioned. You want to play it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Little Van Halen. on the beer scene. I know we're getting tight on time here, but uh, you've been very transparent with me on a lot of the breweries. So, being a hazy IPA guy, I love them, and then I have my favorites around town for that style of beer. I come here every Monday. You're starting to see me every Monday, yep. and I come get either Star Party or Deep of Time, or both, depending on my schedule, because I do my route now around here. Uh, so I can drink eat what I want so I run exercise and it's just my thing I come in here nasty sweaty yeah, looking see, for I women running down the street when I'm coming back <laughs> from making sales yes I'm like Shane get the pretty girls in here and say ragman's coming tell him off but you haven't done that yet but I'm just throwing that out there well, maybe we, maybe we just do like live casting from here on Monday nights and you can be a, a you can be a total crazy man about it <sighs> what about me man you can't leave John out. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll put him in the cooler. I mean, we'll put him in a little cot and everything in yeah. there. Well, there may be police here, so we, we got to keep him out of sight. We don't sight. want people seeing him. But, no, uh, seriously, uh, so one of my breweries that I started, Run Club, I don't know if we want to name them. We can or we cannot. But I, I'm kind of curious um, that it's my first Run Club. 
and I went there for the hazy IPAs. They were amazing, and they kept doing it. They had a great brewer at one point. Say over the last six to 12 months, the quality of beer has gone way down to the point where I'll go run now, have one beer, and then I go to my favorite brewery, or one of my favorite breweries, Great Heights, mm -hmm. where I think Great Heights does really good stuff like you guys do as well. But it's like I get money off there or I can pay full price. I'd rather pay full price for a quality beer. Yeah. So the new owner at this brewery is like, well, I don't like IPAs. And so this is going to be a big question. So he doesn't like IPAs. Okay, I get it. You're the owner. You're a brewer. And I'll, I hear great things about this guy. He's the best brewer in Houston, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, what does he like to brew? Pilsners, lagers, I mean, just the standard Kolsch, nothing outside the box. And he's trying to brew this core beer they had that was a hazy, and it's no longer hazy. And somebody told me that talked to him said, well, I left out a few ingredients from the recipe. So apparently he doesn't give a fuck about his core audience. And I think they're going to rebrand the brewery and all that stuff and get rid of their previous, I guess, name and everything that they were known for. So I guess kind of a two-part, what would you do in this situation or what are your thoughts on this situation? And then number two is, you know, the beers he makes that people rave about that I had the Kolsch and I was like, eh, it's fucking Kolsch. Or no, I had the Pilsner. I had the Pilsner. I was like, the Pilsner... It's an average Pilsner's. I mean, this is a good Pilsner. This reminds me of something I would get in Europe. Yep. And I used to get when I was drinking more European-style beers. But there was like... And the guy behind the counter was like, oh, so fucking great. And I drank it. I was like, eh, it's kind of refreshing after a run. But I'm not going to order it again. Yeah. And when I left, he's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going back where you used to work. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he goes, well, dude, couple months, couple months. So, I guess part one is, what are your thoughts on that? Part two is, the style of beers this guy is trying to make, are they just super simple? And he's, because he worked, in my opinion, again, subpar, just average breweries. Every one of them. I'm not impressed with his resume. I'm like, well, he worked there, there, there. So, he worked at Southern Star, he worked at St. Arnold, and he worked at Local Group. I'm like, none of them have great beer. They're fair. I'll drink them if there's... Between Miller Lite and one of these other breweries, yeah, I'll get the other brewery. I like craft beer. But nothing outside the box. It's just like, I'm plain Jane. This is what I like. And if people don't like it, fuck them. You know, then go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, look, when you're brewing Pilsners and Lagers, they're the hardest beers to make. Really? Yeah. Over a hazy IPA? Absolutely. I've because, heard hazies are harder, no? Well, <laughs> hazies, you got a ton of flexibility on what the consumer thinks they're getting versus what you intended to give them. Oh, okay. Right? And so a hazy is all in the eye of is in the eye of the beholder, the guy who's holding the glass. And what they get out of it might not be anywhere near what you thought you were giving them. Yeah. Well, let's be clear about that. Um, whereas with a lager or a pilsner, it's either right or it's wrong. I really I mean that's just that's the those beers have been around for hundreds of years. They've been brewed thousands and thousands of times over. And when I say they're right or wrong you know it from the minute you taste it. And, and you, like you said, you had that Pilsner up there, and you're like, eh, it didn't do anything to you. It didn't resonate to you, right? right. And you had 
previously they're they're hazy which did something for you because you found something in there that resonated with you right and so you know the, th the thing about Pilsner's Lagers, they're naked, they're raw, they're, they're um, so few ingredients with so much time to perfect them that in a lot of ways, brewers measure other brewers based on the, the Pilsner's and Lagers they make, not all the other stuff. Okay. Right? So it's kind of a dick measuring contest and some <laughs> and some, and some, and to some extent as, hey, I put out this really clean very well balanced lager or pilsner and I'm willing to put my neck on the line for six weeks for a beer that I'm so confident in what I'm brewing and the style and everything else that goes into it whereas because it takes that long to lager a pilsner or, or, or a lager right whereas with a with an IPA you can you can turn and burn a brown IPA in 10 days or hazy in 14 days. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, I always tell everybody, and this is, you know, hate me for it, I don't give a shit, um, but you can stick all sorts of garbage or make your worst beer and call it an IPA. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's just, it's, we're, like, all the imperfections of a brewery go to hide is in an IPA. And you can, really? you can get away with bloody murder with the hazies like, oh, we thought it was going to be this, and it turned out to that. Now, nah, lots of hazy, nobody will care, right? So there's some, like, this, which is one of the things that nobody understands about why is it that hazies became what they are. So, like, we have a, a very rare privilege here at New Magnolia to be able to drink Fiden's beer from Albany, New York. Fiden's is one of the top two or three now hazy IPA breweries in all of North America. Really? Yeah. And... Our, one of our beer guys, he gets Biden shipped out to him weekly. Really? Because his parents ship it to him. His dad ships it to him. So we get to try some of the best hazies in the country, and we have a frame of reference of what is it that is a good hazy. And we've been studying them and working on them and playing with them, and what we have here locally in Houston is nowhere near what they're doing up there. Wow. So... I would say that like Houston has a long way to figure it out, long way to go. We have got and might Cincy get a collab at some point or no? We kind of did something based on one of their beers uh -huh. that they then tried. The, the head brewer there tried, and he gave us our first untapped rating of a 4.7 on that beer. Oh, nice! Because he gave us recommendations for the hot profile and some boil and. Um, brewing techniques that they were using. Now, he's not going to obviously give us the play card yeah. for their beers because that's given away the trade secret that's made them huge. But they gave us some pointers and some things that we implemented immediately and saw great results from. Huh. Right? And so we're not going to give those away either. And we have a few more tricks up our sleeve that we are starting to implement with Hazy's. Again, things I'm not going to publicly talk about or sure. announce to the world. Um, but... You know, they're, they're, uh, hazies, there are so many different versions of them now. There are so many different ways to go about it. Um, you really kind of have to, like, pick your style of hazy that you want. There's, like, the Gulf Coast hazies. There's the, the New England hazy. There's the New Hampshire hazy. There's the Midwest hazy. California doesn't even, like, think of hazies. All, and truthfully, the trend in IPAs right now 
all your IPAs are going to look like this Czech Pilsner in about six to eight months. Wow. They're all going to be yellow, uh -huh. and they're going to be really well hot balanced, and they're going to be super clean, crisp beers. Huh. Right? Okay. So that, that um, the malts that are traditionally used, the crystal malts, they're dropping out of the grain bills, and we're replacing them with more wheat malts and more specialty Pilsner malts to keep them yellow because those malt characters actually do a really good job with less hops in the brewing process so that you get more um, beta and alpha expression with less hop material. Huh, okay. So you get higher yields, <clears throat> you get a better performing um, shelf-stable IPA, right? And so, you know, in a lot of ways, the brewery that you were talking about at the beginning, um, you kind of have to plant your flag. And if you've got to be careful about where you plant your flag because if you plant your flag in one spot, like um, Spindle Tap, they want to be the IPA, AZ IPA Brewery of Houston. What happens is, is for a long time you get to get, get away with bloody murder and then there's a point in time when everybody's like, we want better. And everything you release is no longer up to standard or what people are wanting better of. And so your brand starts to fade into the past and you become less desired. And if you're just concentrating on one style and that's how you're defined, when you decide to pivot like our boys up at Ingenious did when they decided they didn't want to make schmoozies and all the other crazy shit anymore, they decided they were gonna do Pilsners and Lagers. Well, they had some struggles out the gate with that. Yeah. And it, they didn't necessarily hit the ground running. I stopped and, going there just because they're not doing the smoothies. Correct. Uh, I mean, anymore. It, but it's hard to get the consumer to change their yeah. perspective, right? The consumer wants this, but they're like, well, the market's going this way. And we want to kind of participate right, in that. Right, right. But then they can't do a good job on it because they don't do them enough to really understand right, the, the, right. The, the, the true technicality of brewing those beers and the patience and time it takes. I mean, even Urban South is having a massive identity crisis internally because their head brewer is like, I'm not making these garbage beers that we put all this shit that you buy off the grocery store shelves, boxes of cereal, jugs of soda. I mean, all this crap that's got natural preservatives or unnatural preservatives that are yeah. in there that they're then pumping into beers. And the beers are just exploding in cans and cars and Oh, really? Shelves. Wow. I mean, wow. you name it. Let's yeah. say, but, but they do make a really good Pilsner, and they do make a really good lager. But the whole genre of people that are following them and the, their consumer base is like, we want more of that garbage slushy beer that you make as opposed to give us a good clean beer. Yeah. And, you know, we started off New Magnolia with the philosophy that everybody's going to come full circle right back to the, to the clean beer. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. And they're going to have to try stuff. And the reason why we felt that way was because the Houston consumer base was so macro-tied that they were not ready to jump and go off, dead set, all in on new styles and new directions like these other breweries thought. You get dabblers and you get wannabes and you get these people who want to feel cool and have FOMO, but at the end of the day, they'll have one slushy and then four light lagers. Really? Okay. Or one slushy, yeah, yeah. an IPA, and yeah, yeah. something clean and easy. They always all circle back to the easy drinking, low ABV session beers. And I mean, the perfect example of the brewery that has succeeded the, the best in that space is uh, Eureka Heights. Session beers, they've been able to murder it with Buckle Bunny. Cream Ale, I mean, who knew that Houston wanted a Cream Ale? Not me. Yeah. But they've made a thing out of it, they've, they've grown, but even them, now they're pivoting into the Lager Pilsner space with 713 Pills. Is it good? I don't know. 
I don't really think so. It's a little sweet on my palate. I'm not huge on it. I, I will. T- I, I wanted to bring them up too because they've had uh, they have their fruity cage juice, which is kind of the staple, and it's good. Yeah. Uh, but then they've done variations of it, and they call it something like something different. So one was Who's House, and then they which had is by, which is our name that we. Yeah, we, I know. Because Mark called it Whorehouse. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a tell them in case he called me and he goes dude sorry we uh, obviously didn't check hard enough yeah uh, so they stopped and they won't want to do it under that name anymore because we own that name well they called the next version I guess was hi dad it's me yeah. or some shit like yeah. that for father's day and I was talking to one of the beer tenders and she's I know when whose house came out I don't know if it's because cougars or whatever yeah it's sold out in cans immediately well they but only the, did 10 cases that's it yeah. yeah okay well the beer was phenomenal I, I loved it. It was my favorite beer I think I've ever had there. Okay. And then they had this high dad, and the beer tender told me, she said, yeah, it's a variation of the Who's House with something else. And I was like, it's fucking amazing, too. Boom, they're gone. So if you have a hot seller IPA like that, a hazy, if you will, do you like, you see how fast it sells. Do you pull it off and make people like wait? Or do you make it a staple at some point and say, hey, it's this is a name, we're sticking to it, and then, because I fucking love it. I, yeah. I went in there more just to get it, because I knew it was going to run out soon. Here, here's the reality of taproom service, or, or, or etiquette, or <laughs> these taproom breweries that uh, we are all like now becoming. You have to, you serve, we serve two masters we serve our our broader market the houston market master and then we serve our taproom master the huter the, the the broader market their psychographic mentality is i know that beer i want it it's consistent i'm going to drink it have it at my event my party my house all the time because they know it they might experiment and dabble a little on the side but it's far less than buying consistency whereas in the taproom in order to get the patron to come in and buy the second and third and fourth beer, you have to have all the shiny lures that spin constantly. So you can't take the macro Houston market and introduce a bunch of new beers without cannibalizing your sales and confusing the shit out of the consumer. And then there is the, the Bart Watson at the, at the Brewers Association showed a statistic a number of years ago at, the, uh, at one of these um, big uh, at GABF, um, no, at the Craft Brewers Conference, whereby he um, he he showed that men and women, all of all ages, the the men, if you put the menu on the wall with 20 beers, if you put a box around the top five beers, the men will order the majority of those beers on the top five, whereas the women, they want to see the variety and they're going to pick the same like two beers or yeah. three beers all the time. So the thing of it is like in the tap room you have to have a ton of variety so that you can so that you can bring people in and get them to try all these variations and that's where you get to try your beers and have all these testing grounds right um, before you can then say hey we think this beer is ready for mass market because for instance like I love Kolsch Kolsch is a great beer right it's one of the hardest beers to make it's you know, people, breweries that do them, if they do them right, they're, they're good. And, and they're just, you know, they're just hard to make. 
right? And so you just don't see a lot of Kolsch's out in the greater market, right? They just don't sell well because the consumers, they don't like the fact that Kolsch's can be very inconsistent from brewery to brewery by style, right? Because everybody has their own variation of a Kolsch. Yeah. Whereas with IPAs, everybody expects them to be different. Whereas with Kolsch's, you expect them to be the same as according to the style because of the German purity standard. So in your head, you've anchored this flavor profile that you want all Kolsch's to taste like. So when you don't find it in the mass market, you give up on that beer, right? right. So that's why only Kolsch's do really well in tap rooms. But IPA, you're like, no, I expect it to be different because that's what that that's the signature of that brewery, and it's right. going to be different from the signature of the brewery down the street. And so you, you, we're in this constant battle of like, how do we serve the masses, but yet keep the consistency, uh, but but yet keep it fun and interesting in the tap room. And so you have to build a program that allows for that. And I mean, our program allows for that. Like we spin, we have four, five, six core beers that are always on that are in the, the Houston market. And then we have those on the wall and then we spin another 12 to 14 beers around them in yeah. variation of sizes. And we, we do just like every other brewery around town. And we're actually the brewery that kind of started this trend by taking a beer, we brew a big batch, we split it amongst separate fermenters, and then we do each tr different treatments on each fermenter. And that treatment can be a yeast treatment, a hop treatment, or a fruit treatment. Mm -hmm. And so we get one beer, four different batches. Oh, wow. Right? And so when we started doing that, other breweries around town were like, wow, crazy, great idea. Like, how easy is that? Right? And we did it so that we could mitigate our risk and spin through product more and have more, more beers on the wall. That was the reason why we did it. And so there's a lot of breweries, like you look at Elderson. I mean, Robert's doing it. He's taking um, Lefty Laser and just doing this and doing that, yeah. doing this and doing that. All these variations. Eureka yeah. takes Mini Boss and Buckle Bunny and they just do this and do that. Right, and right. And this. So they're all doing this now mm -hmm. as a means to have more offerings that are weird where people can go, oh, I tried the Buckle Bunny, but now I'm super curious about the, you know, fruited blah 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 with glitter buckle bunny and they're going to drink it right so they're going to drink the regular buckle bunny and then they're going to drink the fruited so now right. you've got them to buy two beers sure and then yeah. hopefully they go Smart. on and they buy a third and a fourth right? yeah and so that's i mean that's the challenge of of beer design and beer growth st arnold's never knew nor did they predict or have any any kind of inclination that art car would be all of their production so 70% of all the beer they produce is our car. Wow. By volume. Damn. Right? Probably like Hoppadillo for Carbach too, right? Yeah. Well, or you know, similar. Similar. I mean, Carbach, fuck them. I mean, they fucking, <laughs> yeah. they, they took incredibly good German style beers, sold out for the right amount of money, and then InBev, which is Budweiser, ruined all their beers. Oh, I agree. I, I don't like... down, just systematically destroyed all their beers. You know, Love Street used to be a Kolsch style. Now it's a blonde. Yeah. And they just changed the grain bill because they had a certain demographic that identified with that hippie era. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to lose that demographic. So they stuck with it. Hopadillo, they changed the grain bill. They even changed the hop intensity and hop profile for cheaper, less, less expensive hops. People still drink the shit out of it because they think that that it's cool and funny. That's that's just a fucking garbage beer. Well, you want to hear something funny? So, the company I work for, we had an event there, the Crawfish Bowl. We had customers. I could drink free beer the whole time. I couldn't find one beer I wanted to. It's like I'm going to drink water. Yeah. Fuck it. You know, I 
why. I struggle to get through a Crawford Bach. Oh, those aren't good game. either. I, I mean, I'm not a fan. No, I mean, and there's some of their stouts were good. The barrel, bourbon barrel aged stuff, but yeah, I don't that's even... fine. So, you know what the thing is? Is like, and this is so jaded of me to say this, but because our beers are national award winning beers and, and White Lager, Amber, Bradziski, we. And then all the other beers that we make around them are very clean. I mean, our test, our 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 scoring results from all the major competitions. If we put five beers in, we have at a minimum three that make it to the last round mm-hmm. without being meddled. So we know we're that good. We know we're contending at that level. Yeah, like Oktoberfest is almost won at two separate competitions in the last two years. It was off by like a fraction from a medal, right? And when you get that and your palate is set at a certain level, then you really are hypercritical and overjudge everything else after that. Oh, yeah. Right? And so you know when things are good because your palate is set right versus when you go out and you're like, wow, that's incredibly offensive. I cannot believe. And so I, I did the Texas um, beer competition for the, the Texas Craft Brewers Guild. I was a judge this past year where I helped um, judge beers from all over the state of Texas, of which five medals were awarded to the Houston market. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I didn't even know I was judging those beers and that I was awarding those medals. Maybe there's some subliminal subliminal activity going on there. Yeah. But I was basing them off of what we had made and the quality of which those beers were presenting as. And true anomaly. I mean, we awarded them, my table awarded them two medals. Really? Wow. Walking stick for their... Summer ale. Summer they won English. a medal. They got a they got a gold <laughs> for their English really? summer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I that, that, was, they're kind of the whipping boy of Houston breweries <laughs> because they have the great like beer guard tap room, but the beer's not the best. They're ter- they've turned the corner. I will say they have. They have a the brewer from Eureka now. Yeah. From what I've heard. Yeah. So. And she's doing a great job over there. They're, they're 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 going in the right direction. Yeah. There was a little bit of a struggle. Um, but you know they they've won some medals. They've done they've done a good job changing, turning things around, um, getting things in the right direction. And then you know it's just, so you just get to the point where it's like you know what's good, you know what's media average, and then you know what's mediocre. Right, right. right. And unfortunately, like I tell people all the time, I'm like I don't drink beer anymore. I just go out and sip beer to try to find something that really resonates with me. That then I go down the rabbit hole on. Yeah. And why did it work? And how is it being done? And wow, that's awesome. What are they doing with it that's unique? And I'll call the brewery owners and try to set up meetings and have conversations. And um, I'm not trying to do collabs to like poach and, and you know get free free fanfare from them. Um, if it happens, it happens. But right. it's more about like let's have an intellectual exchange of knowledge to see how this how what you're doing could benefit me and what I'm doing could benefit you. Sure. And we have really a lot of great conversations and we've learned a lot that's in, awesome in the course of doing that and that's probably the coolest thing about craft beer is the communal experience that you have across the city and across the state and then even outside of the state like i can pick up the phone and call any number of, of my brewery owner friends in florida and the tampa st pete area and they will just spill their guts and say this is how we did it from start to finish even here's the recipe go for it Knock friendly it competition i love it yeah that's awesome yeah and and so we you know we're trying to build those types of relationships um throughout the united states i don't look to houston for beer inspiration there's very little beer inspiration in the city of houston there are several breweries that are doing a phenomenally good job and they know who they are and we all know who they are yeah without me having to name them 
I typically look to the East and West Coast for inspiration because Houston, if I had to put an age on it, it's like basically a 24 month old in the greater U.S. beer scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there are very mature markets that are out there where you know they're they're approaching early 20 somethings, you know, mid mid 20s, depending on the markets, just because they've run the cycles. Yeah, they've gone through it all, and every th- every and every time they come back to the same starting point, loggers and pilsners. Yeah, they all do. You know, and if you look at what's going on, everybody's doing these loggers and pilsners, and they're doing new techniques, or they're doing really innovative techniques with um, IPAs. I think one of the coolest things that somebody ever told me was my buddy Matt, who owns Escape Brewing in, in Tampa, Florida. He said, when you get done with IPAs, your palate will go directly to sours. Really? When you get done with sours, you're just going to go for nothing but clean beer from that point forward. Hmm. Or very extreme exotic beers that nobody could ever duplicate. Yeah. And he was 100% right. And they've been at it for seven years. And they have won multiple awards across multiple categories, multiple um, competitions. And they know their beer inside and out. And they know Florida beer inside and out. And so for me, that's always been like kind of a, a guiding light when he told me that several years ago in thinking about beer and the progression of beer and, I, and I, I'm the most critical person about our beer on premise like if I don't like something I'll tell these tell the guys like this is not what we thought it was going to be it's not our standard yeah. it's not our standard something's off something's out of sync and we go back and we retrace all of our steps mm-hmm. until we figure it out that's awesome yeah so Shane I know uh, before we go you have a new beer club. We do. Let's talk about that, and then we're gonna you're gonna pick a song, and then we're gonna wrap up. So okay. tell us about the beer club. Seems pretty fucking cool. Beer club is cool. So we you know we opened in 2019 with a beer club where we did 24 spots for people to come in and brew their own beer here with us and have a, a beer release party. Oh wow, that's which fun. Was really cool. Yeah, and it was a way to build up fanfare for the brewery, and they basically paid us for their privilege, right? Yeah. Which was cool. We had a blast doing that. We brewed a bunch of different beers, uh, which was fun. So that was year one. Year two, we skinnied it down and had less. We only had 12 in the club that could brew beer. And then last year, we had six. And then this year, I flipped to a straight-up mug club. And the mug club this year is a two-tiered club. The top tier is the mug, where if you pay 600 bucks, you get the mug, and you get, the, you get one beer a day in the tap room for the rest of your life. On the, on the as part of the club. Then you get a, a list of other benefits. Yeah. The second tier is you get three beers a day. I'm sorry, three beers a month. Plus a, a, yeah, three oh, beers. Oh, wow. Nice. Three, no, <laughs> scratch that. Edit that out. Um, three beers a month plus a list of other items that you get. Um, and that's $199. And that's an annual renewal. So you do have to, you know, you sign up for a year, you're in for the year, then you're out after the end of the year, or you renew. Whereas the Mug Club, it's lifetime. Nice. Right? So That's a good deal. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Um, Tom, the owner of No Label, signed up for it. Oh, and, really? And Val, the owner of Valensons in Paraland, he signed up for it. Um, whether they're just being polite and cute and funny, or if they're sincere, it doesn't matter. They are now part of our Mug Club. Uh, but the Mug Club is, is going to be a lot of fun. It's a way to bring people together, um, be a part of the Heights, be a part of the beer community in Houston. And you don't just get the beer when you come into, the, come into New Magnolia. You get the beer and the experience because if I'm around or John's around and you stop us and ask us a question, 
we're going to give you a full-blown answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're going to get an education, and you might even get a couple free beers out of it because we want you to know what's right versus what you're being told is yeah. right. You know, People come in here all the time, and they'll line up at the bar, and I'll have two people sitting there, and I'll start doing a little beer education, and then I'll have four, and then I'll have eight, and then I'll have ten. And by the end of it, everybody's like, I left here a better person today. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, um, you know, that's part of what we do with, with all this. Um, and so the beer club is, is an avenue for that. It's easy to sign up, come in, scan the QR code. If you see it on our social media, uh, you can pick the QR code off of that, um, as well. And then you can sign up through, uh, stitch, which is the, um, provider of, uh, or, or, or like the house where all of it's being maintained so that we don't have to maintain it. And then when you come in, you just show us you're signed up and you get all your privileges. That's awesome. So how long is the special last? Is it year round? It's or? open right now. So Mug Club is open to the first 100 members. Okay. So we're, we're getting, we're, we've had a lot of signups. I'm not going to put any numbers out there, but we are moving through it. And then the annual is just a rolling basis. Whenever you want to sign up, you sign up. So if it's this week or it's four months from now, it, it just goes one year from the time you enroll. And then gotcha. you auto-enroll through the next year. Okay. Right? And if you want to opt out, you opt out by clicking the button when you get your renewal notice. Perfect. So very, very simple. A um, couple of the breweries around town use this uh, app, I call it, or website. Um, it's very efficient. It gets the job done. Um, and it'll be a good time. All right, Shane. What's your last song? Let's play it right now. Ooh, um, I, 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 let's go out with Comfortably Numb. Oh, nice, little Floyd. Yeah. Okay. Because so, that was always my, you know, that and Tom Petty, man. That was the, <laughs> that was the biggest rock loss I've experienced. I fucked up. I wanted to see him on his 40th anniversary, and I'm like, oh, I'll catch him next year. And then he passed away. I'm like, fuck. I had tickets given to me for the show right before he passed away here in Houston. Oh, so he passed away before that show. Yeah. Oh, I was kicking myself. I thought the show had already passed, but it had not. I didn't so. go, and I was like, God damn. So I love Free Fallen yeah. um, from him. Um, and then, you know, like I said, uh, Pink Floyd, is, it's also another mellow vibe for me. All right, let's do some Floyd. Smoke on the 
All right, guys. Thank you for listening every week. I really appreciate everybody checking out my show and the comments you send every week. If you're in the Houston area or you are abroad and you make it to Houston, you need to go to New Magnolia Brewing Company. Look for Shane. He'll give you an education on beer. Shane, it's been awesome talking to you, man. Thank you for coming on the show, and you're welcome back anytime, my friend. Right on. Appreciate it. You come back, too. All right. So before we leave, we're going to do something special. And I don't know if you've done this before. I know you listen every once in a while. But we're going to give the fans a horn up. Horns up. Horns up. up. All right.